morning, we've been taking time to uh, look at the vision of the church and what Jesus sees, both about the nature of the church and the nature of the way and the world that we live in, and about what he has for us um, as the church to do and to be about. And we first, uh, it seems like a long time ago now, uh, just at the 1st of June, talked about the fact that Jesus sees leaderless and lost people. He talks about people being sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they have no one to guide and to lead, to care, to nurture, to be sure that they will be okay. And this is where we get all kinds of mothers in our life. There are. There's our job. There are all kinds of people that would like to tell us what to do and where to go, aren't there? But not one who really cares about us, who really knows us, and who can bring us into the fullness of life. Only God can lead us there. And so he calls us into community with other people in a place where we can see and know and experience who God is and grow. And then the next week we talked about the vision of, of what kind of church does, does God want to make. And we talked about as All Nations Church, we want to be a church that's open. That we're welcoming to people. That we are here and saying, you can question anything. You know? God gave us a brain and he encourages us to question, to think, and to to wrestle with these things. He doesn't just say, here it is, believe everything, and don't think about it from that point on. That's, I don't know what kind of Christian that makes, but I tell you this, not a very good one. But that is not God's desire for us, is just to come and, without any mind, say, I believe everything. But to think about, what does that believe and why, and what does that mean for me? And then we start to look, as we start to look into the different church locations and where we're going to be to live out that vision, um, that vision of community, be a community of hope, be a community that cares for people, be a community that helps people to grow and that helps them to impact their world for the glory of God. We start to understand that, you know, it's great to say that, you know, there's all kinds of needs out there and that people need to know and be connected to God. And it's great to say that there's all kinds of opportunities in terms of the number of English speakers and uh, those who are both locals and those who are internationals that are here in Luxembourg. But we've got to do something about it. Just seeing a need and seeing what could be doesn't change what is. I remember when we built we built a house in the states with a really good, well, probably my best friend in the states, um, Craig Winstrom, and he was a house builder, and we were there at the church for about four or five years, and he said, you know, we would love to help you build a house. Um, and uh, Craig was a wonderful guy, a great Christian guy, and um, didn't know how to say no, which was actually helpful for us uh, in terms of the house. Um, but but he, we were, I remember in the planning phase and all that, and he says, enjoy this. This is the best part. Planning is the best part. Of of the whole adventure because once you start putting concrete in and walls up then you you are constrained once you start deciding what I can actually afford you become somewhat constrained by the realities dream dreaming is wonderful enjoy it Um, because when you have to decide what kind of roofing to put in how much paint where paint what kind of windows you can start to go a little bit crazy but that's really true it's great to have a vision it's great to see that there's a need that you have a need but then to put that into action, you've got to do something. You've got to work. You've got to put something of yourself into it. And you have to say no to some things so that you can say yes to some other things. You have to put your energy into it. And so it's great to see the vision of what could be. It's great to see the need, but what do we do? 
And I think there are several ways that energy comes as we start to think about um, what we want to do and what we need to put into what God is calling us to as a church. But, but one of the things that energizes people is you, when you buy into the vision. When you don't just say, well, this is the vision of Paul, or this is the idea of the leadership, but when you start to say, you know what? People do need someone like God to lead them. All people. That's real. I believe it. And you start to say, you know what, the, we are not a perfect church and we don't have everything together at all. We still have to figure out how to get that screen down. <clears throat> but, but, it's true, isn't it? But, people can come here and, and be with people who will not judge them or push them, but whom they can talk or not talk with about the truth about who God is. And who they are, we are willing to say, you are who you are, we are who we are, and let God lead us together as only He can do towards the truth. And we can ask questions. You know, sometimes that build, buying into that, that vision is what makes a difference for us. And we say, yeah, this is mine. And I'm willing to work for it. I'm willing to make it happen. Sometimes we buy into the energy to do something different is because we're frustrated. And we're going to meet a frustrated individual today in Gideon. But sometimes your frustration is the best thing you have to put you into energy. Yeah, I have this in my office. My, if anybody who's ever been up in my office, which is up in the top floor of our house, which I also call now the sauna, since it's warm. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, my, I, I'm, not, I'm not a clean worker. Uh, I have paper all over the place, but it becomes a point, even I can't work there. And I'm frustrated. And, you know, in an hour, I can... I can get basically everything away. And it's a wonderful time because most of the things in the piles, I don't need anymore. So it's just recycle, 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 because the, the due date is gone, you know, on those things. So it's actually a system that works pretty good for me most of the time. But sometimes you just got to be frustrated enough to work, to say, okay, it's time. I'm going to do it now. And so I want you to think about the frustrations maybe you have of living in Luxembourg, or even, dare I say, the frustrations about All Nations Church that you have to say, you know what? I'm going to make it better. I'm going to put my energy, my time, my effort into making it what it could be. And the other thing that can make a big difference is an encounter with God. You know, a lot of times we plan and we think about what could be and, and it's all our own thoughts and our ideas and then some point God oftentimes reaches in and we have an encounter with Him and it makes all the difference. What we tried and worked for and wanted to do Knowing God and having Him meet us in a very personal place and space makes all the difference. We cannot manufacture an energy to do God's work necessarily on our own. But God needs to meet us. And so today we're going to look at a character who I think experienced all those different things in Gideon. He is an obscure character buried in the middle of an easily forgotten book, Judges. I, wouldn't, I won't ask you where it is, so uh, you won't be put on the spot. But you probably think, you might go better, where is Judges anyway? So, um, But we're gonna, he, he is a, a gentleman who um, we can learn a lot from in terms of what God was doing and how he encountered God. And Gideon had some needs. He faced the oppression of other powers over him and his people. Gideon was not a leader. He was not in charge. In fact, he was, as we heard, he was the least probably in his family, the least of the least tribe. Um, and Gideon was hungry. 
He wanted to eat. And he also hungered, I think, for God to work. The God who had brought them out of the nation of Egypt to thrive. The God who had chosen to bring them up and to care for them, and yet the God that they felt had deserted them and had left them under the oppression of these Midianites. And so often, as the Israelites did, we do. We want the good things, the life-giving things that God gives, but we don't want the God who gives them. And the reality of this book and of really the whole Bible is saying this. You can't have the wonderful, life-giving things of God without God. You just can't. That won't go on forever. They won't satisfy. It's only in relationship to really knowing and enjoying Him can we really enjoy love, forgiveness, communication, the joy of laughter. These things are not separatable from God in terms of satisfying our soul. So Gideon faced some needs. And so I want to look at what Gideon discovered and maybe what it has for us to discover as we look into putting our energy into what God has for us here as a church. But it's oftentimes, as you notice in Gideon, it's when we need that we reach out to God. It's not when everything is going great. It's not when everything's perfect. But life is just going, you know, just as we help, it's when things are not working right. Where we oftentimes turn to God and say, help. And we're often willing to look at life from God's perspective and not ours. To be able to embrace what He has to say as opposed to saying that I'm right. The first thing that I think is really interesting in this encounter that we read about is, um, well, there's a few other things I want, I want to tell you before I go into Gideon's encounter. I, I just love this little section because it's, such, it's so, I think it's funny. I think, I think sometimes we read the Bible and I think sometimes we're so serious. We don't catch the funny part of this. And, and it's a very serious book. It's a very serious situation. But here's the people of Israel who have left God, who basically said, God, we want the good things. We don't want you. And then God brings in these Midianites so they can kind of think about, that's your choice. This is life without me, without my protection, my provision, and my care. Do you really want to live without me? And so they, they live under this for seven years, and it takes them seven years to cry out to God. That's a long time. That's called stubborn people. I'm glad we're not like that. <laughs> but, you know, they are. But we, they cried out to the Lord, and, and, and they said, Lord, help us. And then God does something that I, I think is, I don't want to say funny, it's, it's not the right word, but it is sort of funny. God sends them a prophet, someone to speak on his behalf. And he basically said, I told you this would happen. Goodbye and walks away. You know, what a nice word from God, isn't it? You know? God, help us! Well, God said, if you, if you, diso- if you don't obey, if you, if you worship other gods, you don't worship me, life isn't going to go well in this place. That's the message. You missed it. You blew it. See you later. Where's the hope, God? I mean, if I was the people and say, this, this is the message? Well, th- thanks. We called, you know, 911. Or what is it here? 144 or 114? We went too, thank you. So I haven't obviously had to call yet. So, um, and we got we got this. Yeah, you're in a mess. <laughs> Good luck. But that's what they got, and yet that's not just what they got. They got something unusual and unexpected as well. And it's this angel who comes to Gideon, and obviously he didn't show up looking like an angel. I think there would have been a different response with Gideon. But he comes to Gideon and he says something incredible and unbelievable, and I think funny. He says this. Almighty hero, the Lord is with you. And Gideon's probably looking around like, 
Who's he talking to? Gideon is actually in a vat where they press the wine down, okay? So he's hiding where no one can see him. And he's got some wheat on, you know, on the stalks, not like a cactus wheat, but the kind that you really get in the field. And he's beating it out so he can actually get something to eat. And the angel, so he's hiding because he's afraid that if the Midianites see him, they'll come and take this away and they might kill him. And here's the angel comes to him and say, says this, Almighty oh, warrior, oh hero, the Lord is with you. Crazy. How different God sees Gideon from the way Gideon sees himself. In this dialogue, the, the angel t- talks to him and he says, "What you want me to free Israel? My clan, my people are the, the weakest. And you know what? And I'm the weakest in my family. God, you couldn't have found a worse candidate to be the one who frees the people of Israel. But I want to say this. And I think this is very powerful and very important and very challenging for us as people, is God looks at Gideon in light of his future and not his presence and not his past. He looks at what Gideon will be. And you know, that's the one thing Gideon can't see. Gideon can't see what he's going to be. All he knows is what has happened in the past and who he is right now, crouching fearfully in here. He can't see the future, but the angel says, God has a future for you that is very, very different than what you're experiencing now. And basically, the invitation that he is getting is to live into that future. To trust God, to live in this future that Gideon says, I I don't think is possible. But will you live in light of your future? You know, God is not impressed with what we bring to the relationship with him. What he wants is that we come into a relationship with a willingness to see what he sees and to live into it, our future. It is possible, or is it possible that God looks to us and looks at us and says, Oh, great church, I'm with you. And he doesn't look at us and say, I'm saying it because you're the greatest of all churches. In fact, we could be like, we could be like Gideon. We could be the least of all the churches in Luxembourg. It's not about who we are. It's about the future that God sees for us. It's not about us patting ourselves on the back and saying, aren't we great in comparison to other people? Because we're not. But does God see something more in us, something more in our future than we are willing even to contemplate ourselves? Almighty hero, You're the one. The Lord is with you. Let that sink in. The Lord, all nations church, is with you. And that means whatever God has called us to do, He will do. And oftentimes, as He did with Gideon, in a very unusual and unexpected way, in which we couldn't chart out, we couldn't explain, we can't put on a PowerPoint presentation how it will happen. But if God is with us, it'll work. The second thing I find really interesting about this passage is God looks at Gideon and he says this. He says, Go in the strength that you have to rescue Israel from the hands of Midian. I am sending you. That must have sounded so strange. Could you hear that from Gideon's ears? Go in the strength that you have. You know, 
go and defeat this huge horde of, of people that are so big, so numerous, you can't even count them, Gideon. You go and defeat them. I'm with you. Go in the strength that you have. How impossible it must have sounded. But you know what I think happened? And the, the Bible doesn't say this, but I think over time, as Gideon experienced God at work in his life, at different points, his, his mind started to shift from what I think he was thinking about the first time. When he heard that, he, said, he was probably thinking this, go in the strength you have. I have no strength. Remember God, I'm the guy in the wine press beating out my lunch. I'm just afraid. I've got nothing. And over time, as God worked in his life, and as he stepped out in faith in little ways, you know what I think? His mind went from the strength that you have to the phrase, I, the Lord, am with you. That makes all the difference. That God was with him. And therefore, the little things that Gideon could bring became bigger and stronger. He became capable of doing things he never imagined he could do. And God takes great pains to show Gideon this. You know, Gideon is called then to go first to tear down the family altar, which is probably going to get him in a lot of trouble. And so Gideon, being the brave man that he is, goes at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, when everyone's sleeping. Now, maybe not 2 o'clock, but you know what I mean. In the evening when no one's looking and, and he, he does what God says, he takes the little courage that he has and he steps out. He doesn't know what's going to happen, except for it's probably going to be bad. And then his dad, I think, does a great thing. Uh, you, read, you should go home and read the rest of the story. Basically, the, the people come out and says, "This is this is bad. This is very bad. We're going to be the gods are going to get really mad at us. So we should kill the one who did this." And his dad says this. He says, "Who do you, who do you you're going to fight for Baal? You're going to fight for this other god, Baal? If Baal's so strong, let him deal with Gideon." Good point. And you know what? Baal, Baal never did because Baal couldn't. And you know what? It started to erode people's faith in Baal and it started to make them say, I wonder what's going on here. I wonder if God's starting to work. Gideon laid out a fleece two times. I don't accept, suggest you go do this or go find a fleece. But God put up with Gideon trying to deal with the fact that God was calling him to step out and be courageous. And then God gave him a dream, basically the interpretation of a dream in the midst of the Midianite camp that gave him the courage to go do something crazy for, for God. What did Gideon have? What was the strength that he brought to this task? Well, first he brought courage. First a little bit, then more, and then the courage of a man who says, you know, if, if God is with me, and if this is God's mission, it can be done. It can be done. The refrain in the, in the book of Judges, the, the phrase that you hear over and over again, which is kind of the banner over the book, basically says this, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That could be the banner of today, couldn't it? Everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And yet Gideon, like the other judges, becomes this person that basically says this, I'm going to do right in the eyes of God. I'm going to let His vision, God's vision of reality and life determine what I do and how I live. I'm going to live in light of God's view, what's right in His eyes. He brought courage. He also brought some resources that he didn't realize that he had. 
God said, I want you to make a sacrifice and make a new altar. And so Gideon, without probably telling his father, borrowed the bull and killed the bull, which was part of the sacrificial system. To kind of say, God, we're on your side. We, we give our allegiance to you. That was courageous. I think there was humility in putting the fleece out and saying, God, I, I'm willing to do what you want, but I'm afraid I've got it all wrong because this seems like such a huge task. And God provided. He had leadership. He called the clan together to fight. It took a lot of courage to blow that horn and say, you know what, come from all over and fight against the Midianites. And yet that's what he did. And then his obedience to tell most of the people to go home and fight because God says, there's just too many of you. And if you win, which you will, you'll think you did it. And so God picks 300 men. And with 300, he routes a huge army that could not be counted. And one of the other resources that Gideon had is he was willing to risk being wrong. And that's hard. I mean, it's easy to step out and do something if you know for sure, absolutely, it's going to happen and you'll be on the winning side. But you know, Gideon didn't know that. He had the trust in God and say, God, this is what you have for us and I will step out and you know what? I could be wrong. But I'd rather be wrong stepping out for you than right and not doing anything in life. The only resource Gideon had is he had people with him. He wasn't alone. God did not call him to do this all by himself, but he gathered around him other people who, who did this, and it ended up being the 300. And you know what? Can you imagine what the celebration was like for those 300? Can you imagine what it was like for those 300 to say, you know what? But look, did you see what God did through us? We blew these horns. We, we broke these, um, these pots over these torches, and, and God made the Midianites fight each other. We didn't even have to get involved in the fight. You know, until later on. And God, look what God did. Look what we, we got to watch God do the impossible. What do you think they told their grandkids 30, 40 years later? You know, I think the first story they told their grandkids when the grandkids came over, and the first story the grandkids asked, and they said, you know, Grandpa, tell me about Gideon in the Midianites. Tell me about how God worked. Tell me about that experience. In his, and Grandpa's face would just light up and say, Oh, well, you should have been there. It was amazing. Because we saw God do what no one thought God could do. He gave us victory. His will was done against impossible odds. It was great. I hope someday you get to have that experience, he would say to his grandkids, I bet. What about us? You know, by the grace of God, he is leading All Nations Church forward into ministry and into finding a place, another place to do, to have worship and to serve the community around us. And I believe that God is saying to us as a church, do it in the strength that you have. I am with you. And I think we might just have that same response that Gideon has. What strength? What ability? What resources? God, I don't have a lot. And God, you know, I, I still struggle with all these things, and I'm not sure about this. And God says, you know, you're focusing on the wrong end of the call. The strength that you have will be necessary, but you know what? I, I am with you. 
And that means you have the resources necessary to do what you need to do. So I ask you, what do you have? What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your heart? What do you have in your life that you can give and put into the mission that God has here at All Nations Church? Maybe it's even something that you'll find out later on you didn't even know you had. But God knew it because He saw into the future of what you could do and what you could be. God will be calling us. He will be tapping us on the shoulder and saying, it's your turn to step up. It's your turn to step out. It's your turn to go in a place that you weren't sure you could go. Will you be ready? Will you be like Gideon, maybe, and say, I'm willing to trust, Lord, help me to see and to know, but my heart is, I will follow. For some of us, that would mean skills that we have. It means leading and teaching. Maybe welcoming people, connecting people, sharing your story um, with people about how Christ has made a difference in your life. Not in, that, not in a pushy way, not in a way that makes them so they have to believe, but in a way that you're not afraid to say, this is the truth that I have experienced. For some, it will mean that you know, All Nations has been a great place to, to kind of come and, and worship and enjoy and meet these great people, and it may be it's now my time to step up and help make it happen. Not just be here as a participant, but be here as someone who is helping to build. Uh, Stuart, who is our president, I like every once in a while, he says, uh, you know, we need to say more often that this is not a cruise ship, you know. It's more like a uh, freighter, isn't it? You know, yeah, at Merchant Everybody has a job. Everybody's got something to do. If this is your church, there's a place for you to serve and to give. We need it. We'll need it more, even than we do right now. For some of you, the biggest challenge is not going to be the skills. It's going to be the time. Because your lives are busy. They're full. You have all kinds of things that you're doing, all kinds of good things. And the last thing I want as a church is for us to say, we want all of your time, because to be honest, we don't. We want you to be all gods. And we want you to find some way and place where you can give your time that's meaningful to you and to others, but to God. But to be able to say, I can give some. Because I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of the story that God is weaving here. You know, some of this is going to also take resources. For us to move into a new place, it's going to take financial resources. It's going to take money. Let me put it in a very small word. Euros. It's just real. That's life. You know? Um, and our desire here is to basically say to you and encourage you to let you know this is where we're going and to say, you know, if everybody does what they can, we will make it. We'll be there. But if we kind of go, well, I don't know, I'll let somebody else do this. We won't. Because it's all about us as a community together doing what God wants for us to do. You know, for in our age and in our place, and especially in Luxembourg, you know our God that we leave the real God for oftentimes is money. And God says, you want to be free of that? You want to be afraid of, of this, of this um, sense of money. And by the way, if, I, if when I mention the word money, you kind of went like this. It means it's maybe a little too important to you. It's maybe a little bit too much of your security, of your hope for the future, of your sense that everything's going to be okay, which, by the way, only God is supposed to be that. So if you tightened up, and most of us do, 
then there's some work for us to do and let God do in our heart. But you know what? God has a great remedy for that sense of God being of, of money being our God with a small g. And he says this, the best way to be free of it is to give it. Not all of it, but to give it. Because when you give it, guess what? It no longer has power over you. But when you hold on to it, it can dominate your life. And it will not bring you the happiness or the security or the hope that you want. I don't know a whole lot of people that sit around with their grandkids on their knee and say, you know, the best thing about my life is I made millions. And here it is right here. And I don't know as many, many grandkids as they grow up are going to be really impressed with that kind of life. But to sit with your grandkids and say, you know what? I got to see God work. And this is what it was like. And it was the best experience of my life. That, that makes a difference. Lastly, and we talked about this in the beginning, is this, is is, uh, don't be afraid to think of your complaints as a resource. The things that you don't like, either here in Luxembourg or in your own life or at All Nations Church, because complaints can be a great opportunity for us to act. By the way, anybody can complain. It's really easy. In fact, we all do. But the question is, what do you do with your complaints? Do you expect other people to fix everything you complain about? Don't. One, it won't make you very popular. Two, it makes a really rotten life. But complaints can be an opportunity to say that things are not right. And you know what? I'm going to step out and do something that makes life and things better. More like they should be. God asks us to put our complaints out there, but then also to act and to love. You know, God took Gideon's complaints, and he said this, Where are the miracles, God? God, where is the the fact that you were here and you cared for us? Why did you leave us? And then Gideon, and I love this about the story, Gideon became the answer to his own complaints. Because after God worked for Gideon, nobody said, where's God? They said, God's right here. And, And no one said, where's the miracles? Because they said, did you see what God did through Gideon and through those people? That was a miracle. God, God answered the complaint through the complainer. That means there's hope for all of us. Job says this, the immortal words, when he encounters God at the end of the book, he says, I had only heard about you before, but now, now I have seen you with my own eyes, and God, I take it all back. Everything I said, I take it back, because now I know what you're like. What I want for you is just that. I want for you and for me to have an experience with God working together in which we say, wow, God was there. Undeniable. God did it. And so that when we're old and some of us are getting there faster or closer to that than some of the rest of you and we have our grandkids or our friends around, we can say, you know what, I've had a great life, but I have to tell you, one of the best chapters was what God did at All Nations Church of Luxembourg. Not because we were great, not because we had everything together, but because God wanted to do something and He chose the least to do His work. And it was amazing and wonderful. Are you ready? The Lord is with you. Go in the strength you have. 
You are God's hero. Believe. Believe and be blessed. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we are so quick to be afraid. So quick to see the obstacles. So quick to see the little strength that we don't have. And so quick to forget the strength, the power, and the ability that you have. Father, we pray as we sing this last song, and as we let the words of it ring into our hearts, we pray that we would believe and walk in the truth that you have for us, to act so that you might bless us and others. Lead us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.